Hey, good to see everybody. Hope you're uh, doing well this morning. Um, I put a thing up on the board because I've been thinking about that all week. Um, and so I thought, yeah, I kind of want to explain that a little bit differently. You know, we've been talking about um, the perils of sideways looking. And uh, somebody mentioned last week, well, maybe, you know, what about... When we look at our neighbors around us, I mean, aren't we supposed to do that to sort of help them and sort of be available to them? And I thought, well, yeah, that's that is right. So, so what I thought I'd do is is put up a uh, a, a a contrast between what sideways looking looks like when God isn't the center of it, and what looking at each other sideways looks like when God is the center of it, that there is a difference, okay? So what we've been talking about is this, uh, James talks about the double-minded man. That's kind of where this all came from. And that the double-minded man is someone who is not centered, is not grounded in a relationship with God. So what you end up doing when when that's your life, is that you have to somehow find your centering and you keep looking around, looking around, looking around. And so when you look around at people around us, we find that there are people around us that have plenty and there are people around us that are in want, okay? So that would be a way to think about it. But the problem is, is that if God is not the center, if we, if, if the focus in life is not on God in terms of God as giver, God as redeemer, God as sanctifier, all the things that God does. If we, if we basically cut off from him, then the only focus we're left with is ourselves. That's what that, that's what that diagram is uh, trying to depict. And so what happens when self is the thing that matters the most, then the driving force behind everything is self-pride. Okay, and so what happens with self-pride is that there are three basic things that it fuels. Number one, it fuels selfishness. Number two, it fuels insecurity. And number three, it fuels greed. So that what happens then is that when you encounter or you're looking back and forth, looking back and forth, and you see people who have plenty, then the reaction that you have to them is either one of envying other people in the sense of, well, gee, how come they have more and I don't, right? Or there is the feeling, if you look at people in want, what happens is that you start feeling uh, pretty uppity. I sure I'm glad I'm not like him, right? I mean, in neither one of those responses is God-pleasing, and they reveal a lack of God being the center post, a center post in a person's life. Now, what's interesting to me is that when God is the center, then what happens is, is that, yeah, we're still aware of people around us, and we're aware that there are some people that have plenty and there are some people that are in want. That, and, that, and, that, and that may from time to time be any of us, right? But the response is different because when you're looking through the lens of God as the one who's the center of your life, what happens is, is that that in turn allows you to respond differently to the fact that some people are greatly blessed. And so when some people are greatly blessed, 
what is it that we can do is that we can rejoice with them. I'm so glad that God has blessed you. I'm so glad that you're being a blessing to somebody else. I'm so glad that that you're positioned in such a way in life that things are going well for you. That's awesome, right? At the same time, when we see people in want, we can respond with compassion. It's not a case of better than or less than. It's a better of saying that God has blessed me in order to be positioned to be a blessing to you, all right? And so just kind of an interesting way to think about that in terms of this idea of sideways looking, that we can indeed actually, and we ought to, be noticing people around us. But the issue is, is what is our response to that, right? How do we how to respond in such a way that reveals the fact that God is the grounding, God is the centerpiece of that, if you will. Okay, any thoughts about that? I'm springing it on you the first time. I've been thinking about this for four days, so just so you know. Usually I think about these things during the sermon, but I actually listened today, so. Yeah, well, I was half listening, so yeah. Yeah, Richard. What comes to mind is in our culture, and I used this about 10 years ago in my class, we were talking about persuasion. Yeah. And McDonald's advertises, you deserve a break today. You deserve a break today. Thank you. I do. And yes. I, and I asked my students, I said, how does the cashier deserve whether you deserve a break? Yeah. It's Right. Right. So I think that that use of that word deserve mm-hmm. does fuel that. Yeah, I mean, almost all of the uh, advertising today that seems to be geared toward uh, toward us today is the idea that whatever you have, you deserve better. You deserve more. And it kind of does, doesn't it kind of... Uh, sort of triggers something in us. I mean, there's a reason why they keep using that messaging, and that's because it works, right? It does sort of tap into a certain level of dissatisfaction that we would all have, maybe on some level, and and that we think, well, uh, yeah, you're right. I'm, I don't have enough hamburgers in my life. You know, I, I, I don't have enough milkshakes in my life. What's wrong with me? I mean, you know, and you start focusing in on self, right? Instead of thinking in terms of, you know, maybe there's a reason why God is protecting me from McDonald's. Maybe there is, you know? I mean, you think of it that way, right? Is, is that when, when, when this is the centerpiece, it changes your thinking. It, it affects it in such a way that you're not resentful. In fact, you're grateful, now, you might be gritting your teeth while you're grateful. You might well be, right? But that's a different, that's a whole different way of looking at your life and what your life is about and what it means than, than it is over here, okay? So anyway, I just, uh, I just thought that's kind of a simple way to illustrate, I think, what, uh, what this is all about in terms of what James is really talking about. Okay, so let's get into, uh, let's see. You know, last week, now some of you have been getting a text from me. Have you noticed my emoji etiquette has improved? Have you noticed this? 
Yeah, I'm working on that. I just want you to know that if you get a text from me and it ends with an emoji, I'm doing that on purpose because I'm learning how to stop the conversation and not have it go on forever and ever and ever and ever and not offend you or make you feel bad. Okay, so that's that's uh, that's that part. Okay, let's get into uh, what we talked about last week. Uh, five things. Number one, we are preserved in faith in order to be a blessing. So we've kind of taken that word perseverance is what the what James uses that's translated as perseverance. And we sort of shifted a little bit now, moving it out of the idea of uh, perseverance as if somehow you have to be strong enough to persevere. That seems to always be the emphasis. But when you look at terms of God being the center of your life, it's not really up to us in that sense. It's more that God is filling us, right? He's the, he's the source of it. And so in that sense, we are preserved in faith in order to be a blessing. And always the idea that it's not just you have it, oh, I'm so glad you have it. It's you have it in order to bless others with it. Okay, number two, generosity flows out of a grateful and humble heart. So let's kind of put some of these up here because I want to add that to it. Okay, humility, humility, right? Generosity. Let's notice I'm putting these down as opposites of those. What would be the opposite of insecurity? See, insecurity, what, what comes out of insecurity is the fear of not having enough, right? That's what, that's what drives people to hang on to stuff so long, is to say, well, yeah, but if I give it away, then I won't, there won't be enough for me, okay? So what would be the opposite of insecurity? And don't just say security, okay, I get that. <laughs> that would be the easy answer, right? If we focus in on that what's underneath here, this is a feeling of not enough. Yeah, Christina. Enough? Yes, very good. Enough. Whoops, if I could spell it, that'd be really good. E-F, I don't know where that came from. Enough, right? Enough, yes. All right, and the, interestingly enough, the Bible's word for enough is sufficiency. That what God provides is sufficient. Um, goes back to the Old Testament. People, uh, uh, children of Israel going across the wilderness, they ran out of water, ran out of, they ran out of stuff to eat because, you know, they didn't have McDonald's out there. And so anyway, what, uh, what did God provide? Manna, remember? And so what was the deal with the manna is go out and gather enough for the next 24 hours, right? Except on the Sabbath and twice as much. But, but that word enough, the, word, the Hebrew word actually means sufficient for. Sufficient for. So see, God provides sufficient for you, whatever that is. Okay? And that's what comes out of a, an attitude that is, is uh, fueled by gratitude. But that all is possible because God is the centerpiece. I, I kind of think maybe, what if a person was an atheist and totally rejected God, could they still have gratitude in their life? Could they still do some of those things? Yeah, they can, it, but it's from a different motivation, right? Because ultimately what happens is a sinful nature kicks in and says, what's, what's in it for me? 
when, when do I get the payoff, right? When do I get whatever's supposed to come back to me in the form of equal or greater blessing, right? And so when you're, when it, when you're motivated this way, it would be nice to have something come back that would be equal or better than what you gave, but that's not what it's about. What's about is you've already been blessed. And so here's an opportunity to be a blessing to somebody else in some way. Okay? All right. Good thoughts? Good. Uh, point C, rage and wrath are destructive to relationships. Hello, that's like the no-brainer of all time, right? But I mention it. And then uh, uh, the last two kind of go together. Listening is a fundamental foundation to earning respect and trust. And then when respect and trust has been earned at a high level, then advice and problem solving are more welcome. So we talked about that sometimes. You know, James talks about this idea of uh, be uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, that kind of thing. And so sometimes some of us are feel so gifted in the area of solving other people's problems that we just can't wait to tell them what the answers are. And then we kind of half listen, you know, to whatever it is. And so the idea that from James' point of view is, is that listening earns your way in. See, it earns respect. It earns trust. And when people feel that sense of, okay, you get me, right? Uh, and listening is the best way I know to do that, then they are more uh, apt to uh, hear what you have to say if what you have to say is life-changing and brilliant. Okay? All right, so let's get into our lesson for today. Verse 21 and following. He says, Therefore, get rid of all, fil all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Notice he, he draws a connection, doesn't he, between moral filth and evil. Those two go together, right? There's a connection. That it's like he's drawing a, a line between them. And that last phrase there where he says, the word planted in you which can save you. Could a person's life of immorality cause them to forfeit their eternity? Could that happen? That's kind of an interesting question, isn't it? Because given the state of morality in our world today, and maybe it hasn't changed in a million years. I don't know. I wasn't around a million years ago. But, you know, there was a lot of immorality that went on in the Old Testament days. Even in the New Testament days with Rome and Greek and kind of all that. I mean, immorality has always kind of been around all the time. But what James seemed to be saying is, is that 
how you live your life in terms of the behavior that you do and the priorities that you set and kind of all that stuff is that it could deteriorate the strength of the word in you to the point where you would say, I don't even think I believe in that word stuff anymore. And I think there's a lot of people that have gone down that path, right? They sort of become desensitized, if you will, to evil around, you know, again, I, I kind of think of that of movies, for example. When I was a kid, what was rated X, which I, of course, wanted to see, but um, is probably G today or GP or GP13 or whatever it is. I mean, that, that's how desensitized people have become. And it's not just in terms of whether sex is uh, happening on the screen, but it's also the language, and it's also all of the stuff that goes with that. And what happens is, is it dulls the conscience. It dulls our sense of what's right and what's wrong, and what's good and what's bad. Okay? So James is pointing that out. He says, that's why I get rid of it. Don't, don't have anything to do with it. And the Greek word there is not just, oh, get rid of it. It's like, cast it off, right? Shoot it into space. That's the idea of it, okay? And so then he says, don't merely listen. Now, how do you, how do you listen to the word today? You know, how do you, how do you listen to the word? How does the word come to you in ways? In ways? How do you, do you listen to the word? So, of course, yes. Of course, yes. When you say listen, like actively listening in terms of I'm hearing this today, yeah, and that doesn't mean I just leave here today and then okay, go about my business. Mm -hmm. I have to give this attention with intention, so this is an application. Yeah, so that's why he's he's advocating for that idea that if you if you hear it, then you let it sort of settle inside and you sort of mull it over, let it brew. Some people say brew. Some people would say seep. Let it seep. Certain theme here a little bit, a bit liquid. Um, but then you do it, right? See, if, if a person hears it, like in a podcast or a sermon or up here or somebody's reading it out loud kind of idea, which is what they would have done in, in, in James's day, um, but you don't do it, then it becomes an academic exercise, right? And there are a lot of people today who uh, treat the word that way. They don't necessarily believe it's God's word, but even if they did... It's more of this idea that, well, I got through it. Like, how many of you do this? I, I don't, so I have to confess. You read the Bible in a whole year. How many of you do that? That is the coolest thing. Yeah, I don't do that. Maybe I'll do that after I retire. But right now, I'm jammed with everything, I think. Um, but it's the idea that you, you're immerse, you immerse yourself in it. You swim in it. Let's use that word, right? Because he says, look in verse 25. Whoever looks intently at the perfect law and continues in it. So think of wading around in it, sloshing around in it, swimming in it. You know, like a dog rolls in mud, do that, right? It'd be sort of like that idea, right? So that it sticks to you. And I would argue that having conversation with other believers about it is a great way to do that. And the best way 
is for you to come up here and teach it. Ah, yes. Hmm, that will get to another topic. Yes. You learn by teaching. That's right. Yeah, Richard. The other thing that I think we overlook, it's always kind of funny, when you're teaching a class, you know, you start a lesson in class, mm -hmm. you were going to read something, and yeah. you have, always have a kid that says, well, I've already read that. I've already read that, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and so, then you would say, well, how many times have you watched your favorite movie? Oh, I watch it a bunch of times. Why do you do that? I know. Well, then I notice new things. Yeah. The same thing is true about the body. This is very true. Yeah. You know, they're, they're I mean, how many times has anybody read the story of David and Goliath? Mm -hmm. because, you know, I don't know what the number is. But, you know, tomorrow I may open up that and read it, and all of a sudden, wait a minute. Yeah, the light comes on in a different, in a different exactly. way sometimes. It does do that, yeah. yeah. So what is this about this? I don't know. Does, have any of you done this? Where you look at yourself in a mirror and then you walk away and immediately forget, or maybe wanted to forget, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know if anybody actually does that. You know, most of us are cringing as we look in it, right? But his point is obvious, is that it, it is either a sort of visual moment and then, oh, I think about other things and walk away, okay? And the next thing you know, that moment is totally lost. And that's what happens with the Word sometimes, is that, is that we get into the Word and maybe even have an aha moment, and then life happens. And then all of a sudden, that whatever that was is gone. Now, yes, the Holy Spirit is floating around too in you with this, but I think what he's really talking about here is this idea of the stability of that Word and the uh, constancy of that Word and consistency of that word. Because what the word does is it draws us closer to God. And at the end of the day, we can't get enough of that. Okay? Yeah, Carl. You mentioned uh, walking through the Bible in a, in a year. Yeah. I did that a couple of years ago. And, and actually, I want to recommend it um, because it only takes about 20 to 30 minutes a day. Uh -huh. And it just was absolutely amazing how what you read that day yeah. suddenly applies to that day. I know. It's, it's like God worked that out somehow. Yeah. yeah. I liked it so much that the next year, I went back through my Bible and spent the same cycle mm -hmm. looking at the footnotes. I'm like, my, my Whoa. Bible. Hardcore. Instead of reading the Bible, I read the footnotes. Mm -hmm. it took about the same amount of time. Wow. And that was a really good exercise. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for recommending that. That's just, that's terrific. Well, let's go to the next, uh, top of the next page then with verse 26. So James is going to, he's just going to nail everybody in the room today. Okay, so let's just get used to that because here it all goes. All right, so now he says, verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Okay, after reading that, does anyone here consider themselves religious? <laughs> Not a chance, right? 
Okay. Now, what there's kind of two ways to take this, keep a tight rein on their tongues. One way would be that he's going after gossip, okay? Or as some people say, sharing. Okay. <laughs> I get that question all the time. Well, like, how do I know, you know? I just want to share my feelings. I just want to say how I feel. I just have, so I have to have some way to process this openly and verbally. I, just, I have to do that. And so that, I don't know where that line is. I, I have no idea. Because if I did, I probably wouldn't be in business as a counselor. So that's, yeah. All right. So the, but that's one way to take this, keep, keep a tight rein. I don't think that's what he's talking about here because he hits that later. Okay. The gossip thing is going to come up later in James. But, I, but one of the commentaries that I used here, it thinks that what this is, is the idea of opinion giving in a religious sense versus quick to listen. See, before he said, be uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, etc. Okay, and, and so what, what he's kind of going after here, and we'll see it in the next section of the scripture, is he seems to be addressing what happens in the religious meeting. It might be in the synagogue, or it might be in somebody's home. And so there was apparently this people that felt like they were the authority, the religious authority for everybody else, and they had all the answers to everything. And so what would happen is, is that then those who would, would consider themselves as such would be quick to speak and offer their opinion about something, and it wasn't welcome, nor was it even true. Okay, so that seems to be, that's the, but you could take it either way, because the gossip thing also is very destructive to, uh, to a, a religious setting, right? But then notice what he does do. He, he, does, he, he points out then what is a pure and, and faultless uh, approach to your, to your spiritual life or to your religious life. He says, again, it's not just what you say, but it's what you're doing. Right? What are you doing? Well, you're looking after orphans and widows. Now, why them? And it's not assuming that it's only them, but for sure it's them. Now, why them? What 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 would be um, significant about that particular group of people? Uh, two groups of people. Yeah. No means of support. Yeah, if you don't have family or some sort of uh, social network around you that would include that, then uh, for sure, if you're an orphan, you're probably going to end up on the street um, being kind of somebody that would have to steal in order to live kind of idea. And then if you're a widow, very often widows ended up uh, going into prostitution because that was the only way that they could survive. So again, it's the idea that you, we look around, he's saying, to look after people who cannot look after themselves, right? It's people who have no means. Now, we would say, okay, well, what about today? Because today there's like, you know, a social network, there's network, and there's like churches that help out, and there's all kinds of things. So who would, is there any group that would fit into that category of those who cannot uh, uh, provide for themselves? Yeah, what about immigration? The people that are coming across the border. Yeah. You know, they 
coyotes. Yeah, the coyotes are the ones that took all their money. Yeah, and then they don't have anything, right? Yeah, and so you know, and this one gets into all kinds of um, quicksand in terms of do we welcome them? Do we not? Should we close the border? Open the border? Have points of entry? All those kinds of things, irrespective of that. What the Bible would talk about is once they're here, we treat them in some way. Now, there is some issue about whether or not the sheer number would overwhelm our capacity, okay? But nonetheless, the emphasis here is on the idea that I do what? I see people in want, and I respond how? With compassion. Now, what that compassion looks like, that's a, that's a whole different issue. But in terms of the, this whole side of it, is that uh, God had, would have something to say about that. Yeah. I think it's less about the who and thinking about going to the very end and start with the lens of like, who are the people that they're not going to be able to pay you back? You're not going into it with an air of what can I mm -hmm. fill in the blank, but it's less about the who. And if you flip it and you're like, all right, they can't necessarily give back. That's really where I feel that compassion and that want are going to go together. Yeah. You're not doing it for any sort of gain. Mm -hmm. Doing it purely for fact that we've been forgiven, given to all of those kinds of things. So yeah, it's a response. Yeah, it's always a response. Look at it through that lens as opposed to the who, uh -huh. the what. Yeah, makes it a little easier not to see color, gender, race, all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff, and more just truly what mm -hmm. the need is at its crux. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it really gets into sensitive topics, doesn't it? The Bible has kind of an annoying way of doing that. Yeah. I always have problem like I'm very tender-hearted, so whenever I see like a person begging, beg whatever with her children or whatever, mm -hmm. I mean my heart really goes out. You know, arguing if you see somebody else, please they don't. You know, they don't want to give. Oh yeah, like you, they don't want you to support that. Yeah, yeah I know. Oh, yeah. And then you wonder, well, are they going to buy alcohol or drugs with it? You know, I mean. Uh, yeah, some might. Yeah, some might. So, could you be compassionate and say no to someone, or does compassion demand that you say yes to every need that is presented your way or that you see? I think we have to have a discerning heart. Uh, because going back to the immigration thing, a lot of people are being brought into the country, yes, by coyotes, but a lot of that is also human trafficking. Some of it is, yeah. And so if we close the border in some places, have points of entry, mm -hmm. can we help control that and save people from getting into whatever yeah. entities might be trying to put them into that human trafficking here? Yeah. Sometimes saying no uh, feels like a lack of compassion, doesn't it? Or putting limits on something seems like that. Um, so some of it is, I think, the attitude in which we do that and, and the, the, the manner in which we do it as well. It could be intention, because like for your example about giving money, that, that's my major reaction. Ken actually taught me about like, what if we were to give them water or, you know, have food or something like that. So you take away that mental burden of like what you said, oh, they're going to go get a pack of cigarettes or whatever, right. and you're playing more towards 
their basic needs. And I know he sounds like, my yeah. So, I mean, then, you know, you're getting the help. Not our, you know, you're helping them with food, with water, with a jacket, with, you know, things that are going to help them. Yeah, so that's one of the, if, for those of you in the early service when we went through the state of the church, you saw the list of things that the church does. And so one of the reasons why we do that is because there are organizations in our community that will vet people to make sure that if you give money to something that it actually goes to what it was that was stated that they would go to. And it doesn't just go to overhead, but it actually goes to the need. Um, and so that in many ways is a great way to do it because then that way um, those are people that have resources to be able to do the discernment thing where you and I, you know, uh, wouldn't necessarily be able to go. Uh, and so anyway, just that's, that's another way to do that as opposed to lumping everybody into that category of saying, well, they're just going to go do this and this, and then therefore I'm not going to do it. Yeah, Max. In answer to that question, you know, it's kind of relating back to scripture, you know, what should we give or not, you know. Yeah. I, I know scripture said give what you what you're able. Yeah. So each person is to give what they're able. Sure. So the widow she gave her, her might, you know, but uh, we're we're blessed with a lot more. So, you know, yeah. I don't think it would stretch us too much to give what we're able, even if it is a person that you know whether you know they're legitimate or not right and then you can have peace mm -hmm. in your soul because if you try to figure out if everybody is you know, legitimate or not it can drive you crazy well i know and then you end up worrying about it at night going oh maybe they went and did something bad with it oh my gosh what do i do you know you think about that with your kids allowance so you know that would be yeah one more richard when you want i think the other thing is that each of us has our view, and so there are things that I see that are, we'll say, want mm -hmm. uh, injustice that yeah. I respond to. Yes. Okay? Uh -huh. And then, you know, Susan may see something entirely different. Right. But as long as we're doing what God expects us sure. to do, then that's... I was amazed this yeah. morning how much... Uh, mac and cheese we gave away <laughs> did you see that like a thousand was it a thousand pounds or boxes or whatever that was of mac and cheese and then the peanut butter thing i thought wow that is awesome and that sort of tells you too what you can do when we're doing it together versus what you can do when you do it by yourself right and so there is such uh strength and power in terms of the collective body getting behind some sort of effort or some behind some sort of ministry and then each person just saying yeah hey I'm, I'm gonna do that you know and I'm not a, even a big fan of boxed uh, mac and cheese but I was totally impressed with that so I thought that was terrific yeah now it's the cereal oh now it's the cereal box things yeah, I'm coming down the hallway, and what's Chris? Well, you're the one holding the thing, and I was thinking, where's he going with that? And then I remember, yeah, so that's a pretty cool thing, too. So there are fun ways to do this kind of stuff, right? But nonetheless, you know, when we talk about gratitude, what we're really talking about is a response to what God has already done. See, it, it, gratitude doesn't just start with us. It starts with God being generous 
And then we're humbly receiving that and, and, and aware that is coming from him, and we're grateful for it. And then that in turn feeds these other things. And so when, when that's the case and a need presents itself, what do you do? You just respond. And like Max said, you don't worry about where it's going to go. But again, if, if you had concerns about it, there are agencies that do really a great job. They do a great job of uh, making sure that the dollars uh, go where they need to go. And then that way you don't have to have to worry about that in some way. But notice the other thing he says, the, the true religion, faultless religion, to look after widows and orphans, and then what? To keep oneself from what? Being polluted by the world. That, that's a statement about the condition of the world, is it not? Right? The condition of the world is that it is polluted. And so you think, okay, how would I do that? So I, I just made some notes down there, halfway down where it says keep oneself. Uh, that you would keep oneself from being poisoned by the world's influence. And, and here's some ideas of the way that might uh, be involved. Is number one, that we limit exposure, our exposure, and for sure our kids, to the world's standards of morality as expressed on social media in movies and videos. Um, I just heard this this morning driving in. So the first thing I do is I listen to the traffic on KRLD because i got to find out if i got to take an alternate route getting here. Okay. Then I flip over to uh, Sports Talk Radio <laughs> to hear the latest complaint about the Cowboys. And then I go to NPR because I, that's my full range. I listen. So on NPR, they were talking about there is a school in, I don't know, let's just make up someplace, New Jersey, wherever it is, a middle school. And what they noticed was, was that during the school day, all these middle school kids were saying, excuse me, I have to go to the bathroom eight times a day. And what they discovered was they were going into the bathroom, standing in front of the mirror, and, t and making TikTok videos. Because <laughs> I guess you can do that. I guess you can do like this or however you would do it. Okay? So what do you think the school did? They took down the mirrors. <laughs> and it cut that in half. All right? So there you go. TikTok is the... Uh, and there is a lot of morality that is being low-level morality that's being expressed on TikTok. So that's something to be aware of. Number two, standing up for conservative biblical positions on marriage and sexuality. I guarantee if you do that publicly, someone will notice, right? Uh, number three, teaching your children to resist peer pressure by helping them distinguish between wants and needs and by saying no to your own self-gratification. So there is room for saying no in a compassionate way. And sometimes that's how uh, you can help a kid distinguish between wants and needs. A kid will always say, I need that, right? And so part of being an adult is doing what? Helping them distinguish. And the way you do that is by saying no, okay? And then number four, staying in the Word. And let's add Carl's read the Bible in a year. How about that? Weekly worship, prayer, fellowship with other believers, and serving widows and orphans. See, all of those are ways to keep yourself 
Keep yourself from being polluted by the world. In the medieval times, the way they did that was they went off into the wilderness and created a monastery. And they thought that they were leaving their sinful nature behind. Okay? And that's the problem with a lot of people who think we just need to start over, build a utopian society where everybody gets along and everybody's happy and we're all following the rules. And they, they fail to realize that wherever we go, we take we with us, right? And the we has what? A sinful nature. Yeah, Carl. Another one. On your item B, standing up for conservative biblical positions. Yeah. We're going into a, an election year. Yeah. Our church needs, churches overall should be concentrating on emphasizing what the biblical conservative positions are. Mm -hmm. And then encouraging people to vote along with our, our police. Not if you, yeah, I know, it, but us what to use as a judge, judgment. If you so can, yeah, if you can, right? Yeah, I know, it, but see, that's hard to. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm getting more and more lost in some of that because it's harder and harder to tell if it's just messaging or if it really is the way the guy lives his life. If there, if there's a way to see the way the guy lives his life, then that would be more instructive for me. Yeah, 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 for sure saying what they are, because I think there's a lot of muddiness in terms of, that's why I put conservative in there, because there's a lot of people that claim to have a biblical position, but it's not conservative. It's, it's very liberal, and it does not approach the Bible as the Word of God in its entirety. It approaches it in a piecemeal way. Some of it's the Word, some of it isn't the Word. Okay, so some of it is that part. Okay, very good. Let's keep going. We're doing fine here. Chapter 2. Look at that. It took five weeks to get through one chapter. This is my kind of Bible study, let me tell you. Okay. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting. See, this is a gathering idea. Okay. Comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Okay, so what is favoritism? What is that? Showing a preference, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah, kind of a preference. Maybe a little, maybe a little more sinister yeah. than a preference. Yeah. It's almost uh, well. Here, I think the way he's using it here, Mary Jo, is partiality in hospitality, because he's talking about in your meeting, okay? And there's some judging going on in terms of looking at the outside of the person and judging the inner person on the basis of what you see on the outside. That's why, that's why it's judging, okay? Judging here is not discerning. Discerning is a different thing. But judging is where you presume that you can look into a person's heart based on the outside of that person and be able to tell that that person is someone uh, of value, as an example, or someone who is uh, 
should be honored in some way or respected. And that's what was going on is that in, in that, that particular setting, those who had wealth and, and, and wore it were given preference, in that sense preference, but they were given the choice seat in the synagogue or in the setting. Okay. Now, in a Lutheran church, that would be at the back of the church. That's where the choice seating <laughs> is at the back of the church. And anybody that came in that was, you know, someone that we were, uh, didn't really want them to come back, we plant them on the front row. And then that way, they can be embarrassed because they would never know when to stand up or when to sit down. And then, and, oh, sorry, I'm getting into my own issues here. So <laughs> this is why. When I go visit other churches, I do two things, always the same thing. Number one is I'm the last one to be seated because I don't want to sit in Grandma Schmidt's pew. And I don't want Grandma Schmidt coming to me and looking at me like you're in my spot. And I don't want that. It'd be terribly embarrassed. And then the other reason is, is I want to find a spot at the back because I don't know their liturgy. I mean, I know the liturgy, but I don't know what the protocols are because some churches, they stand up and the pastor doesn't do this. Do you notice I do this and I do this? That's for my own good conscience <laughs> and also it is for your well-being. But in some churches, they automatically seem to know. And it would be just my luck. I'd be the one standing and everybody else is sitting. <laughs> so anyway, that's me. Okay. So he says, have you not discriminated? among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. So see, it's, it is kind of interesting that I wonder if he's not necessarily um, speaking ill of judging, but is judging with evil thoughts, right? It's, it's making the assumption that a person's spiritual walk in their life with God is somehow um, indicated by uh, the wealth that they have. And there are some people that would say they believe that. Clearly, if you're poor, God is not blessing you, so there must be something wrong with your relationship with him. There are people that take that view, okay? But I don't know if that was the viewpoint here. I think it was a little bit more of a comfort zone thing that if somebody was uh, you know, well-to-do and they dress nice and they smell nice, all that kind of stuff, oh yes, we want you to come in our group. Okay, so my question down here is, in a Lutheran worship setting, how is this likely to play out in other churches, of course? How's that likely to play out? Hmm. Well, that would be, you know, that, it, it, you wonder about that. I mean... I had the experience. This is real. Have any of you done this? Sat in somebody's pew and they looked at you and said, "How come you're in my pew?" You have a pew. You were talking to him, and the kid was nice, and I was not. And Pastor Lee's dad sat in your pew. So just sitting there burning holes in the thing. He comes up and introduces himself, and yay. Yeah, that was a great moment of. It's you, uh, you, you earned a lot of guilt that day. Boy, good thing we had communion that day. Yeah, jeez, use it all up. 
Yep. Karen. Well, this is not in the church setting, but I think it can relate over. Is that Fridays I go, most Fridays, and meet with a lady who's, I, I help her practice English. She's oh, an immigrant. Yeah. She's now um, a citizen. So, you know, you can kind of maybe, you know, feel just a little good. Well, sure, of course. You go to, it's in a library, yeah. a nice library, uh -huh. where the home is scattered. Oh, yeah. So, especially when it's been cold, when uh -huh. you go and you go into the entryway and they're homeless, which which they're coming out. It's a warming station. All along yeah. the side. So you're walking through yeah. and out at mm -hmm. time. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't always smell so good. Right. And, and you know, and then you're like, well, I don't want to be this sweetie person who's looking past everybody. Yeah. I've also been a person who's been robbed at gunpoint twice. Sure. So, a little trauma there. Look, yeah. I hate to kind of engage. I know. But then that feels very wrong. So mm -hmm. I have not felt figured out that balance. Yes, that is and, a tough one. You know, so then, you know, that if one of those people come here, mm -hmm. you know, that, they would stick out very much. That sure. I think if Armin went with you <laughs> and sort of, he, he was packing, <laughs> you know, just put a bulge, put a bulge right here, Armin, just all you need, you know, something like that. I mean, sometimes if, if you've been traumatized, I, you know, I can, had, we can have some compassion for that because that's that's his own thing, and it takes a lot to get past that. And I don't know if getting past it is really the right word. Trying to overcome that. Yeah, so good for you to do that. Tough. Yeah. It's like I want to take a muffin, muffins or something, but then you're but then the library may not appreciate you bringing something too. So it's take a chance. <laughs> take a chance. And then we'll see if we hear about you on the news. <laughs> and we can all say, we know her. We know her. And we'll come, we'll come bail you out. That'll be okay. Yeah, yeah sure. I have Yeah. And he dressed like a beggar. Oh. And he came into the church and no one talked to him. No one, you know, they tried to see him in the back. Mm -hmm. You know, they really tried to get him to almost leave. Yeah. And uh, so then when they introduced the pastor, he stood up and everybody was you know, trying to get him. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know? anyway, yeah, cheaper. He went up there and he just let him have it. He was yeah. in the sermon that day. He said, told him how. Oh, yes, he did. He, did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I want you all to go home and think. Anyway, he a lot of law. They earned some law that day. That's like that show, Undercover Boss. Have you ever seen that show? That's kind of a cool show when it's sort of the same idea. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Maybe we can talk Pastor Coleman into doing that sometime. He'd have to put a wig on and a mustache. and I don't know. I don't, know. I don't think he could pull that off. I don't think any of us could pull that off. But, you know, there there is something to be said for... Maybe not so much based on how a person looks, although that could be a factor. But just who do you talk to when somebody walks in the church? Do we only go to people we know and are comfortable with and have some relationship with? And then people that you don't know and maybe they're visitors or maybe they are just members who only come at Christmas and Easter and you don't even know their name and you go and you and you're reluctant to go up and talk to them. See that kind of would hit us, wouldn't it? In maybe a little bit more significant way. One of the things about this church 
is that if you join this church as an introvert, 20 years later, you'll be an extrovert. <laughs> and I'm witness to that. I'm, I'm way more outgoing than I ever used to be. But that, that isn't how it was when I first came. I was so shy. and Plus, I always tell people that unless I've seen you in the hospital, the nursing home, my counseling office, or in some other uh, area, if you're not wearing your name tag, I don't know you. Okay, So it would be helpful to me sometimes, and I've been here for over 20 years, that there's some people that I don't know. I know most of everybody in here, but but there, that there's that reality as well, is that sometimes we say, oh, everybody knows me. I don't need to wear that. Well, everybody knows your face, but not everybody knows the name to put with that. And so if you don't know it, you don't see it, then there's not a way to connect something in common that we have with each other. And that's just another way that you can connect with people that you don't know. Yeah, Doris. Um, I was talking to somebody one day about I had introduced myself to someone I didn't know yeah. was in church. And this person said, oh, she says, I just don't like to do that because then sometimes I find out they've been members forever. Yeah. I said, well, so what? Yeah. You don't know them. Yeah. And the other person that gets kudos is Jerry Bacon. He yeah. is the friendliest youth shake hands with everyone. Oh, Jerry. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry. He does. <laughs> See? He, he is Mr. Greeter. No good thing goes unpunished. No. <laughs> now you're now the standard is up here and you have to be friendly to everybody, Jerry. Okay. But you know, again, it's it's some of that stuff too, is that it's not maybe judgmental, but it is but it comes off that way because what happens is people that don't have somebody come up to them, feel like, God, what that church wasn't very friendly. They didn't want me there. And that's probably not true at all. And in fact, I know it's not true, but, but the perception is. And so we want to make sure that we, uh, we're not uh, feeding that perception. Yeah, one more, Carol, and then we'll be done. I went to, I was moving up here. I went to a church in Plano. Yeah. And I, I visited there probably four or five times, uh -huh. mm -hmm. no one came up to me. Yeah. And then my daughter was in was confirmation age, and they were starting confirmation, and the pastor never introduced her to her peers. Oh, uh, yeah. And that, because I didn't join that church. Well, sure, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like who's... Whose was it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's close our prayer. We'll pick up next week with uh, uh, verse five, and then we'll just keep on going. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the way that your word speaks to us, written so long ago, but could have been written yesterday, Lord, because it really hits us between the eyes. But it's the kind of thing we need to be reminded of that you have given us so much, and and that includes our opportunity to be gracious and welcoming and opportunity to uh, to help people who are in need and and to help those who can't help themselves and to do it without any thought of whatever is going to come back to us because you've already given so much to us and there's no way that we could ever outgive you. So help us hang on to that, dear Lord. I, I'm confident that each one of us this coming week is going to uh, have opportunity to uh, to give and to be compassionate and 
and to reach out and uh, to support someone else or scaffold someone else. So can't wait to hear how that goes. But all the time to know that uh, it's all a response to everything you've done for us. Watch over us this week, dear Lord, until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.